Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to hear when God is working in your life. If the messages of Life Church have touched you in some way, please share that with us through email at stories at lifechurchwi.com. The message you are about to hear is part of our series entitled Skinny Jeans. This is a series all about uncomfortable teachings of Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy. Put your makeup on, get your nails done, curl your hair, run the extra mile, keep it slim so they like you. Do they like you? You don't have to try so hard. You don't have to give it all away. You just have to get up. Good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome all of our campuses, Appleton Campus, West Campus, Germantown Campus? If you're new to Life Church, we are one church, multiple locations, and so this morning as we are here in the Germantown campus, we also have a campus in the western suburbs of Waukesha County, uh, right there along the 94 corridor, and then also in Appleton in the Fox Valley. And we've got people that are joining us online from all over. And so it's great to see you and to have you here today. Uh, we have been in this series called Skinny Jeans, and uh, it was kind of funny this past week. I actually uh, I was going to uh, University of Chicago on the south side of the city for a friend of mine who was uh, uh, in for a surgery. It was a valve replacement. And, and, uh, and so when I got there, I didn't know who all was going to be there. He lives in Missouri, in Springfield, Missouri. And so uh, he's a big fundraiser for missions and missionary himself and, and just a great guy. And um, so when I get there, I walk into the waiting room that morning, and it was on Wednesday morning, and, and there are all kinds of uh, friends, and these are all pastors and all these guys I know. And so uh, there are missionaries, there's pastors from, from, from across the U.S. And, and uh, anyhow, and then there's uh, some leaders from the Assemblies of God out of Springfield and so uh, Missouri. And, and we're just kind of talking, you know, just kind of whatever. And so they're, hey, Aaron, what, what, are, what are you preaching? Which I thought, okay, this is really going to be funny because, you know, how do you explain skinny jeans, all right? And so as soon as I say it, they start laughing. I said, well, my series is called Skinny Jeans. And, and uh, the assistant general superintendent said, so Aaron, explain this to me. What does this have to do with anything with the gospel? And I said, well, I'm so glad you asked. And so anyhow, and then I got to show them the video. So uh, Chris, they got to see you in your, in your splendor. And of course, everybody liked that. And uh, so uh, fun, fun, fun stuff. But really, when you get down to it, the subject matter we've been dealing with is pretty serious. And it really is somewhat kind of, kind of gets all in our kitchen. And today's not going to be any different. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And as we've been walking through these uncomfortable teachings of Jesus, week one, we talked about the fact that Jesus says of himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he's the only way. And that if you accept that statement, then you have to reject all others. And it's very exclusive. It's interesting, even this week, 
how uh, we were, and we're talking in that, that particular message series about absolute truth and relativism and, and, and what's happening, in the, and even in the climate and the culture of our nation, uh, on uh, Friday, Thursday or Friday of this past week, the mayor for the city of Houston, Texas, uh, basically subpoenaed uh, or had the city attorney subpoena every pastor uh, of every church in the city of Houston who had spoken against uh, the uh, lesbian, gay, uh, transgender, and bisexual community because they had violated a city ordinance that the city council had put into place uh, for equality of rights. And uh, this is unprecedented. And, and you don't hear a bunch of, uh, you, know, you won't hear a lot about it on ABC, NBC, CBS, and, and, and that kind of a deal, but, but it was hitting the, on the internet, on the news wires. And, and, and then pastors started picking up on this. And the city attorney actually said, you know, if you are a pastor and you are preaching or speaking or doing a lecture in your church and you speak against this ordinance, you are no longer protected by free speech. That's in America. And so it's interesting to me when we talked the first week about tolerance and, and, and those issues and regardless where you stand on those issues, that this is something that should scare us. Uh, governor Perry has, has now gotten involved as a state governor of Texas, and, and there is a full-out, as you can imagine, in the litigious society in which we live in, just litigation on all of this. But this is a tidal wave that is coming and that we are seeing that's going to, we're going to have to deal with regardless of what happens to it. But it goes back to that whole message that we talked about just two weeks ago. Last weekend, we talked about the fact that Jesus said to eat my flesh and to drink my blood. And what does that mean? And we, we pulled the connection with communion, and, but that ultimately it's commitment. And uh, last weekend, as we ended our weekend services at all of our campuses, and we gave everyone an opportunity to partake of communion, uh, it was interesting for me to observe some people that just let it pass on by. And maybe you're here today, or you're at one of the campuses, and, and you did that. And I just want to say to you, uh, not that I don't want you to take communion. I want everybody to be a Christ follower and everybody to take communion. But I have major respect for people who don't just do things to please everybody else. Matter of fact, God does too. You know, the book of Revelation, God says, I'd much rather you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'd much rather you either love me and serve me, God says, or totally oppose me. But if you're just playing games with me, I have no time for you. And, and so, you know, it's an interesting conversation. And today, I don't think it's going to be much different than that. Now, next week, let me say this, because we're going to end the series, series next week, and we're going to talk about divorce and remarriage. And this is a, this is a sensitive subject, and I get it. Um, it's a very controversial topic, and I understand that. Inside the church or outside the church, around 50% of the people that attend Life Church, or really any evangelical church in the country, have gone through divorce. And the stats are really no different outside the church. And so about half of you here today have experienced this or walked through this. And not that anybody would wish that on anyone, but what does Jesus say about it? And how do we deal with it? And, 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 and we're going to talk about that next weekend. Now let me say this. He makes some very, very, very um, strong statements about divorce and remarriage. And we're going to look at that. And I want to say that because I want to say two things. One, um, when you, if you are going to invite somebody next weekend, you might want to test drive the service on Saturday night before Sunday. 
if they're new to Life Church, because if they don't know me, um, I'm going to deal with it. But I, you, sometimes there's a context there. Does that make sense? And people can, you know, words can be taken out and, and, and out of context. And what's he mean? What's he saying? Because Jesus is really, when you read it at face value, it, it's very, very harsh on the subject. And so um, I think that's important to, to be sensitive. Or if someone that you know that doesn't attend Life Church, if you're inviting them, and man, they've never, uh, they've never, they've just gone through a divorce, this may not be the best message for them to come in here because there's a lot of, of open wounds with that. And again, I think Jesus gives a lot of encouragement. I think you're going to be encouraged, but we're going to go through a journey because it becomes introspective. And so that's not always the most comfortable um, but I just want to just to kind of give you that warning as we kind of step into that next week. Again, if you know me, you'll, you, you, you get it. But if you don't know my heart, uh, maybe there may be some things that go, wow, he's really going at this uh, pretty full bore. And so uh, we're going to talk about that next weekend as we end. But today uh, we're talking about cutting off your hand. Jesus makes this statement along with some other statements that are very um, much hyperbole, but they're intentional and he means it. And so he talks about this in Mark chapter 9. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie 127 Hours. Uh, it came out in 2010. James Franco was the, uh, was the lead actor in the movie. It's based on a true story. And it was about a hiker who goes hiking and doesn't really tell anybody in, in the canyons of Utah. And into his hike, he falls down the side of a canyon, and his arm is pinned by an 800-pound boulder. He's there for multiple days and, and just trying to survive. And in day five, he basically just kind of gives up. In day five, he actually takes out a pocket knife that he has and, and etched in the side of the canyon. He writes his name, and, and, and then he also uh, uh, carves the initials R.I.P., rest in peace. He was given up. Now, I can identify with that. Five days with no water, no food. Now, that's big deal. Maybe it's not for you. I, I don't know if I can go five minutes without food. But anyhow, you know, I was that kid, that husky kid that I would go on camping trips. And um, I remember as a kid one time going, I was about 12, and we had to, we had to hike 20 miles into this, uh, the Ozark Mountains, into this area in the summertime. And I remember thinking, I was always a kid at the very, you know, the little fat kid at the end. And with this huge frame backpack, just thinking, Man, when I get home, I'm going to have McDonald's. Because they were, all they were feeding us was freeze-dried food, right, and dehydrated fruit. Have you ever eaten a lot of dehydrated fruit? It expands. <laughs> so I'm the kid at the very end, and I'm eating bags of dehydrated apples. Not great on either end. I'm just saying you're not at a great deal, okay? So... So I get it, man. I, I think I'd be carving my name in about, you know, about a day into that. And, uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, kind of here, let me give you a spoiler alert. So if you need to do earmuffs, you can do that. But, but on day six, his will to live actually kicks in. And, uh, and he does something that is completely radical. He breaks his arm that's been pinned by this boulder. And he takes the pocket knife and he amputates his own arm. He gets himself free, climbs out walks several miles until he finds help, and he's rescued. And it just begs the question, when you see a movie like that or you hear a story like that, and again, that's based on a true story, what would I do if I were in that situation? What, how, how would I respond? And on the surface, you may go, man, there's no way. 
But then when you begin to think about people that are depending upon you and you begin to think about, you know, your kids or your family or, or whatever it may be, uh, if it meant losing an arm but living or keeping your arm and dying, you might pick your arm. You might pick to lose the arm in order to get through life. And, 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 and I think it's important for us as we kind of talk, talk about this today is what would you do in a situation like that? What, w- would you give up your arm to save your life? And you may say, Aaron, I'm never going to be in that situation. I don't go hiking. You know, I may f- fall down in Target, but there's somebody there. You know, I'm not extreme. Uh, I don't go like ice climbing like John Fields does and then put these pictures online and video to do it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just not like wired like that. I mean, it's really, I may fall down the stadium in a football game. I mean, I'm just, I'm going to be around other people. But the reality is, is that Jesus asked this question of his disciples. And, and, and Mark records it. And again, it's a very uncomfortable question. Thus, we're talking about it in this series for skinny jeans. And remember, a disciple is anybody who's a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And this is interesting because sometimes we think of ourselves not in those forms. I remember having a conversation with Stuart Briscoe of Elmbrook. And, and, and he said, Aaron, when I came to Milwaukee, one of the things I realized is that everybody in Milwaukee feels like they're Christians. Because they were baptized into a church or baptized into a faith or they were brought up into a faith. And, and, and they're good, you know, godly, I mean, value-based people. But, but very few people have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, what, and what I realized, he said, is that when I began to ask them, not are you a Christian, because everybody says yes. I go to a Catholic church, I go to a Lutheran church, I, I go to this church or that church. But you begin to ask the question, are you a disciple of Jesus? Uh, I don't know about that. That's, that's a little bit like, right, I, I don't know. Man, that's a little, you know, that's a little fanatical. That's, that's a little excessive, you know. I mean, I, I, I go to a church. I, I attend. I, no, are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? We talked about this last weekend. It's called Commitment. And that decision, that rationale, that, that process that goes on in your mind, for some of you it's happening right now, you're thinking, am I a Christian? Am I, that means am I a disciple of Jesus? Whoa, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah, it, it's, it's your decision. And Jesus is speaking to disciples. He's speaking to people that are fully devoted followers, not just the 12, not just Peter, James, and John, but he's speaking to everyone who claims to be followers of Jesus. And Mark records it in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Jesus says this, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for one of them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And when you read this, and I think even in the context of when Jesus is saying this, everybody there would be, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, in any culture, in any century, you know, children and, and the least of these and those that are are considered weak or small. Yeah, we, we need to defend for, and, and, and they shouldn't be mistreated. And, and man, I'll, I'll help you, Jesus. I, I'll lift the millstone so you can tie it around their neck, and I'll help you throw them overboard. Everybody, okay, great. I like how Jesus starts way out here, and then he just brings it closer in. Look at verse 43. For if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Okay, Jesus, can we go back to the people <coughs> excuse me, that are mistreating uh, those that are um, 
small? You want me to do what with my hand? If it causes you to stumble, I want you to cut it off. It's a little excessive, don't you think, Jesus? But okay. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 45, he goes on. He says, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. This is, this is even more extreme. Because if I lose my hand, uh, I can still do life. I mean, I, as a kid growing up, I, I've broken both of my arms multiple ways. And, and my brother and I, we were always in the ER doing something. And so I've broken about four or five bones in this hand and uh, it was a skateboarding accident. This is a long story. And, uh, but yeah, so I, whenever I broke my left arm, it was not a big deal because I'm right-handed. When I broke my right arm, I was in uh, seventh grade, Kim is junior high, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I remember that I thought, well, this is awesome. And I don't have to take notes because how can I write? To my astonishment, my teacher said, oh, yeah, you're going to write. And so I had to learn for six weeks or eight weeks of that cast to write left-handed. <coughs> the reality, if I lose my hand, not, then doesn't change a ton. I can still do life. But if I lose my foot, especially in the first century, you know, they, they didn't have scooters back then. They didn't have the little, you know, I, there's no wheelchairs. I, I'm, I, I'm walking everywhere. There's no cars. I, there, there's, there's no, I am, man, I am very much in deep weeds. Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 47. It says, if your eye causes you to stumble, then pluck it out. If I lose my eyesight, I'm, I'm done. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm relegated to a beggar on the street because there's no social welfare to take care of me. I can't work. I, I can't do anything. I can't see. That's what blind people did in the first century. They begged for alms on the city streets. Jesus is illustrating a very clear point that I just want to give you. I have one point to today's message, and this is it. What we do today impacts where we end up tomorrow. What we do today impacts where we end up tomorrow. The decisions that you make today will determine what you're going to do tomorrow. See, I don't, today, I live on today what I did yesterday, what I sowed yesterday. Whatever I sowed yesterday, that's what I reap today. And when I'm sowing today, I will reap tomorrow. And I know a lot of people go, well, but man, my heart's right. And then your heart count? Yes, your heart counts. But it's your direction, not your intention, that will determine your destination in life. What you do today will impact tomorrow. The decisions that you make today and where you are today are a sum total of the decisions that you've made previous to today. And where you end up tomorrow will be, the, will be a sum total of the, of the decisions that you make today. I illustrate it like this. And, and this works whether you're at West Campus or whether you're at Appleton Campus or Germantown Campus or if you're watching online. If, if you have packed up your minivan and saying, we're going to Fort Myers, we're going to Florida. And you've got everything packed up, and man, you've got your Bermuda shorts on, you've got your tank top on, you've got your zinc on your nose, hello, children of the 80s, you've got your Ray-Bans on, and you are in your minivan, and you're with a family packed up. We're going to Florida, kids. We're going to hit the beach and, and, and Fort Myers. But if your van is going north on I-43, you're going to find a beach. It's just not the beach that you thought you were going to find. You're going to wind up north on the Great Lakes in Escanaba, Michigan. And, and you can have all the intention of wanting to be in Fort Myers, but that's not where you're going to wind up. Why? Not because of your intention, but because of your direction. And many times in our lives, we don't think, with it, with my heart right, it'll all come together. If I, you know, it, but it's kind of like if I click my heels, I'll get home too, Dorothy. I mean, right? It, it's, it's this, where do we come up with this? 
Jesus is basically speaking and saying, look, look, in your own life, what's causing you to stumble? In your own life, what's taking you away from your destiny? In your own life, what decisions are you making today that are going to impact your tomorrow? What seed are you sowing in your life today that's going to reap something tomorrow that you don't want? They're compromises is what he's talking about. Little compromises. It's little things that happen in our lives. If you ask anyone who their world's falling apart, they'll tell you the story. They had an affair. They, they had an addiction. They, it started, it, it, and it all starts small. I just started doing this, and then it led to this. I, I just began here, and it went to there. Solomon says in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, that it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Look, the devil is not going to show up at your door, at your door at your house and ring the doorbell and go, hey, I'm here just to, just to really wreck your life. Come on in and wreck my life. It never happens like that. It's this choice and that choice and this choice. You may be a student and you're in junior high, you're in high school. It, you, you don't just wind up one day a drunk. You don't just wind up one day pregnant out of wedlock. You don't just wind up one day uh, completely away from God. You just made a choice to hang with this person and to be with that person and to show up at this party and to show up at this event. And you just make these small choices that are seemingly insignificant and pretty harmless. But one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and all of a sudden, boom, there you are. A few clicks of a mouse. All of a sudden, you go from where you intended to be online to where you don't need to be. One conversation around a water cooler at, at work and, and, and you're, oh, I'm in Wisconsin around the bubbler, I'm sorry. And so <laughs> all of a sudden there becomes this spark. And can I just help you with this? We're created, <laughs> we're wired that relationally we're going to connect. I used to think before I got married that, man, when you get married, you know, you have no eyes for anyone else. That, that, that you know, when I married Tammy, I mean, it was just, huh? And, and there was never going to be anyone else that I would ever even find attractive or whatever. She was it. That was awesome. It was great. And I'll never forget being married for about two years, and all of a sudden I was we were youth pastoring, and, and, and I am, I, I'm, I'm on a church event, and, and I'm just talking. And, and, and there was a gal on, on that, that was at the event that it just went through my mind just like this. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for it, but it was all like, she's really nice. She's pretty attractive. And then I went, whoa, 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 I'm married. Because that's how easy it happens. All of a sudden, it's just a thought. It's just a whatever. It's just things are rough at home or, 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 or life is busy and you're not spending time with one another. And so all of a sudden, there's this person of the opposite sex and, 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 and they're funny or they're engaging or they're smart or they're witty. And, and, you know, man, our job makes us work together and we're just together and, and you start spending hours. But before long, you try to find reasons to be with that person. You try to find reasons to talk to that person. You try to find reasons to be with that person and you go out of your way and, and you... you it's all innocuous at first. It's very little foxes. I remember realizing, whoa, okay, you have to be on your guard, Aaron. It's what David said about our hearts. We have to, be, we have to guard our heart because out of it flows the issues of life. 
I love what James Dobson says. The day that you think that you cannot fail morally, that your marriage is indestructible, that you will not make a mistake, is the day you're at the height of your own vulnerability. One out of five divorces in America, somewhere in the litigation, somewhere in the conversation, somewhere in the trial, Facebook comes up. It's like the old country song. It's an old flame with a new name. And all of a sudden, what happens is, is you come across someone or you, meet, you, 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 you re-engage that and all of a sudden you, you kind of go back and, and you go back and, 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 you know, we all wish we could be 18, at least for a weekend or for a day, uh, you know, and just, and just get away from the mortgage and the SUV and the kids in college and all the bills and the payments. And, and all of a sudden that escapism just kicks in and, and Jesus begins with a hand. If it offends you, cut it off. Still be productive. If it's your foot, cut it off. That's limiting my productive life. If it's an eye, if it's something that big that would completely change your life, deal with it. What Jesus is getting at is that he knows where sin can lead us. And he knows that he's just trying to get our attention before we ever get to that point. He's not literally telling you to go cut off your hand or your foot. Or pluck out your eye. Although we would all agree that better that than to lose it all. But he's speaking in a, in a hyperbole that kind of gets our attention. That basically says, look, the things in your life, be careful. Examine yourself. Because nobody else is going to do it for you. And you're not responsible to anyone else other than to yourself and to God. And so look at your life. And is there something that's causing you to stumble? And whatever it is, however important it is, deal with it, even if it seems extreme. So today I ask you the question, what are you willing to lose? What are you willing to lose? Your hand? Your foot? Your eye? And you might have noticed that I only read the first part of the verses in Mark chapter 9. Because the second part is probably more shocking than the first part. Look at it with me in Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read verse 43, 45, and 47. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life maimed with two hands or than, to go, than with two hands and go to hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, for it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two and be thrown into hell. Jesus says hell a whole lot right there, doesn't he? Well, but don't you, you know, I mean, in the first century there was a place that was called you know, basically hell, and that's what they talked about, and it was a horrific place, and so maybe he's talking about going there. No, 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 no. If you really go back, if you want to have that theological debate, if you go back to the Greek, that word hell is Gehenna, which means it's talking about hell as in heaven and hell, as in a lake of fire, as in fire and brimstone, as in where the devil lives. Hell, as you and I would put it. And he says, look, not just if your hand causes you to stumble or sin, or not just if your foot causes you to stumble or sin, or not just if your eye causes you to stumble or sin. And any time in Scripture, let me help you with this, where you find things in threes, it's an emphasis point. 
Whether it's a repetitive word, you find that a lot in Paul's writings. Like to re- he uses like rebuke, reprove, and, re- and, 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 and exhort. He's trying to make a point. With Jesus, he, he will use threes in his teaching. He'll, he'll, he'll repeat them in threes. And so he's talking about your hand. He's talking about the foot. He's talking about your eye. He's making a point. He's trying to draw emphasis to it. He says, if you don't deal with your hand and it causes you to stumble, if you don't deal with your foot and it causes you to stumble, if you don't deal with your eye, whatever causes you to stumble, you are in danger of hell. You are in danger of going to hell. You are in danger of hell. Now, don't email me. I didn't write the book. I don't like talking about or thinking about hell any more than you do. And I know everybody's sitting there going, man, great. I showed up today at church so we can talk about hell. What'd you talk about today at church? Hell? That's great. But it's what Jesus says. Because what he's saying is, is that the decisions that I make today will impact tomorrow. Not just on this earth, but in eternity. The decisions that I make in my own life will determine where I'm going to spend eternity. So there's two questions that we ask today. What is it that stands between you and the life that God wants for you? What is it, is it today that stands between you and the life that God wants for you? What is it in your life that's causing you to stumble? What is it in your life that's causing you to sin? What is it in your life? What is your kryptonite? Can I help you? Everybody has something. Everybody does. Your sweet grandmother, God rest her soul, she had something. Not my grandmother. Yes, I'm talking about your mother, your grandmother. Right? But, but not, not, not so-and-so. They're just so nice. Many of you know sweet Frida Widmeyer. Not sweet Frida. She attends the Germantown campus. Yeah, even Frida. Not, not, not a pastor. Well, you know I got the devil in me, so I mean, whatever. But, but I mean, you know, not, yes. Every person that's walked the planet, Paul himself says, look, I have a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know if it was a proclivity to sin. We don't know if it was a physical ailment. We do not know what it was. What we do know is that there was something in his life that he battled and that he kept coming to God with. And every time he'd ask God to remove it, God would say, my grace is sufficient for you, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Think about perfection. But every one of us has something, an area, a weakness, a vulnerability, a chink in the armor. We all have feet of clay. And the key is to identify it. And once you identify whatever it is, maybe it is is immorality. Maybe it is a relationship that you've that you've developed with someone of the opposite sex that you're not married to. And, and, and not that anything's happened sexually, but there's, a, there's just a draw there. Maybe it is, 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 is something that you're, maybe, maybe you just, at the end of the day, man, I just need some drinks to knock off the edge of the day. I just, I just but it, one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. We're not talking about a glass of wine. We're, 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 we're talking about drunkenness. Maybe it's prescription. You know, you have prescribed something for one thing, and you, you kind of kept it, and so, you know, now you're, and you find that you really like how you feel when you take. Maybe it's performance enhancing in your own life, like things like heroin and cocaine, 
Nobody starts off going and buying cocaine and having a $500 a week habit. You just start here and it just graduates. Maybe it's friendships and you're in high school and you're in junior high. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's what you watch in the media that you, that you involve yourself in. I don't know. Maybe you're like me. You just can't go to buffets. I don't know. Do you understand? I'm not, I'm not shooting at you. Please mis- don't misunderstand me. We all have something. And when you define what it is, the question is, will you cut it out of your life? That's what Jesus is asking. He doesn't really want you to walk around handless, footless, or eyeless. He wants you to deal with whatever it is in your life that's keeping you from being what he's called you to be. Because what you decide today will impact tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you, God, for how straightforward it is and how brutally honest it is, how it challenges us, speaks to our lives. And so I just pray, God, that, Lord, today that you would search our hearts and that we would invite you to search our hearts. And we would look look inside of us and ask the question, what stands between me and the life that you've called me to? And to find whatever it is, to deal with whatever it is, and to be willing to cut it out. I pray, speak to our hearts today. Change us today, Jesus, in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.